0: Welcome back to Mike Morris's mind escape let us help you escape your mind all right folks welcome back to Mike this is Mind Escape. We have episode number 216 today. Uh, we are joined by Kyle Buller. Um, he is the co-founder of Psychedelics Today. Um, he is also has a side thing going on called Sun, uh, Setting Sun Wellness, which you should check out. I'll put both of those links down below. I do have the Psychedelics Today podcast link down below if you want to go listen to that. I know they did a special episode yesterday for 920, uh, the uh, mushroom holiday, if you will. And uh, before we get started here, Everybody, why don't you head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast for just $2 a month. You'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Uh We do have some recent stuff I put up there. Uh We have one. We just had Rick Strassman on. We did um, a segment with him I put up there. We had one with Matthew Clark on What Was Soma, who's he's the author of Botanical Ecstasies. Just put that up on there as well as a segment with, the <clears throat> excuse me, Laird Scranton. So go check those out. Uh, also head on over to Indra's web.org. This is a social media platform we create, uh, created to connect open minds. Uh, it is not in the app store yet. We are working on that. Um, and also there has been some stuff going on with that. So we'll, we'll keep you updated on that as well. Uh, and one more thing, if anybody's interested, that is a picture of the mind escape t-shirt. We will be auctioning off, not auctioning. That's a bad word. We're going to be giving away. Uh, to anybody that leaves us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and uh, we're going to pick a winner at the end of the month of October. So if you're interested, take a screenshot of your review and uh, send us to our email at mindescapepodcast at com. and yeah, we will uh, pick a winner at the end of October. So, uh, But without further ado, welcome on the podcast. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for joining us. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, you are the other half. We've had Joe on a couple times, and uh, um, you, you guys do the Psychedelics Today podcast. And what's your role within the Psychedelics
1: Today um, uh, organization? Yeah. Um, So yeah, I'm one of the co-founders. So Joe and I started this over five years ago. I think our first episode released in May 2016. Um, And yeah, we've been getting a little bit more formalized. So I guess I'm taking on the the title of Director of Training and Clinical Education. So really kind of streamlining our education platform and uh, offerings there. So we typically run an eight-week uh, course for clinicians, therapists, and other people that really want to learn about psychedelics, um, so kind of creating that that space over there. Awesome, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, I do enjoy
0: listening to your podcast. You guys have a lot of great guests that come on, and um, obviously, you do a lot of great work within the community, and it's not just the podcast stuff. You guys do events and connect people and all sorts of wonderful things, so uh, we really appreciate that. Um what what what's your background in this? Like, how did you get into psychedelics? How did you get into this whole um, topic or movement, if you will?
1: Yeah, um, try to do the short version here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I guess I was kind of really interested in consciousness at a young age, you know, just kind of going back in my history. I remember. Just uh, you know, experimenting with consciousness, I was just reminiscing with a friend the other day. just love spinning around in circles um, and just feeling things move. and then so I feel like I, I definitely was uh, kind of tapped into something as a kid. and then I lost it, as I think most kids do as you your ego uh, evol- like evolves and grows and you become more structured. Um, came across meditation when I was fifteen. I was reading a book called Snowboarding to Nirvana. It was about this guy who went over to Nepal, ran into a monk and the monk taught him meditation. And I thought it was just really cool how they incorporated meditation into like, you know, flow states and enhancing something like snowboarding. And I was a snowboarder back then. So I was trying to, um, you know, bring that into what I was doing. Um, And then about a year later, after reading that book, I kind of joke around and say I snowboarded to Nirvana. Uh, I got in a really bad snowboarding accident about a year later. And, um, that really kind of put me on this path. I ended up rupturing my spleen, had massive internal bleeding uh, by the time I got yeah, by the time I got to the hospital um, I lost about five to five and a half pints of blood internally so the doctor said if I came in five or ten minutes later I would have been dead on arrival um, so that experience really changed my life in, in a lot of different ways woke up from that experience and just like had a totally different view on reality um, and, and what we're doing here uh, I definitely ride it out a, a nice high after that and said wow I'm so thankful to be alive Alive, and then all of a sudden, a pretty dark depression, existential crisis started to to move in, um, and that was really challenging. Um, not really having the supports around me to navigate this psycho spiritual crisis that I just went through, um, and I think a f- yeah, a few years later, I stumbled across psilocybin. I think I was 19 um, at the time. And that experience helped me to recontextualize that 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 trauma, specifically kind of like the psycho-spiritual trauma. After I woke up from my near death experience felt like I talked to something or something gave me information. I, I didn't have the visuals to really kind of, um, you know, make it reality. I just knew deep in my bones, something happened on a, on a really profound level. So really interesting. You got to chat with Rick Strassman. He's, uh, you know, he was definitely a huge inspiration. Um, in the beginning, um, stumbling across DMT, the spirit molecule. I think in that book he actually mentioned something about uh, people that have near death experiences and have anesthesia, like at that point where, where people are starting to have that, it seems to suppress visual hallucinations or the visual aspects of the near death experience. And so I didn't have that traditional near death experience of going down a tunnel of light and feeling like, you know, I have my choice to come back here. All I remember was I was in the CAT scan machine uh, you know, kind of slowly slipping away as you know, there's no blood circulating through me, and the doctor's just telling me not to fall asleep. But a voice came over me and said, you know, you're going home. Uh, you're going back to the stars where we all come from, and this physical life is going to cease to exist, but you'll continue on. And the more you struggle with this process, the harder it's going to be. So the more that you can relax into it, uh, the easier the transition's going to be. And I just remember feeling so blissed out going... I'm going home. This is what we all wait for. Um, and so waking up from that, it was just really confusing. I said, "Well, I feel like I went somewhere, but I don't have like the visual aspect to really make that concrete." And I think in our culture, we need to kind of see it to believe it. Um, and I think that's what psilocybin did for me at that age. Um, I was, I you know, I wasn't expecting it. I went to you know, we always talk about set and setting and making sure you're, you're doing this in, in a good mindset. Um, but I was in a pretty bad mindset. I, I, you know, took it with this escapism mentality. I just wanted to kind of leave everything behind. Um, I was struggling with a lot of kind of suicidal ideation, which was really a yearning to go back to that blissful state um, that I experienced when I was dying. And so after that, uh that psilocybin experience i had the visual kind of a representation um this experience came up where you know i had this contact with some sort of entity i felt like i was in some sort of death bardo um and it just really kind of blew my mind and i just kept going how the hell could i eat something that was so on par with dying and could like reproduce a near-death experience for me um and i just became so fascinated Ended up coming across Terrence McKenna uh, right after that, and then uh, Rick Strassman's work. And Rick Strassman's work didn't – like, the title DMT didn't catch me. It was in the subtitle. It said something about near-death and mystical experiences, like research into that. And that's actually what caught my attention. So I had no idea what the hell DMT was when I picked up that book. But as I started to read it, I started to kind of put some theories together of thinking – okay like you know he has this dmt hypothesis that you know when people are are having near-death experiences maybe you do have a flood of release of endogenous dmt well psilocybin it's kind of like this early active dose of dmt if i took enough maybe that's why it felt so similar um and i know his hypothesis is um i don't know it'd be interesting to hear what you guys were chatting about with uh, dr strassman um, but i remember yeah when uh, like i saw him back in 2010 at his uh the the viewing uh for dmt the spirit molecule and he was saying you know that was a hypothesis that everybody ran with truth um that the pineal gland produces dmt and etc cetera, etc cetera. so so, but you know that just exploring that at that age really kind of got me so fascinated around psychedelics so i ended up dedicating my life to it um i said you know i just have to study this so i ended up finding a psychology program in transpersonal psychology at a small little uh college in vermont called burlington college and was able to do my undergrad in transpersonal psychology that's where i uh started to train in in breathwork that's how joe and i met was through our our, the same breathwork teachers um and so i've been with them for about 10 years or so and just every paper that i could write about psychedelics i had the chance i was like all right i'm gonna write write about psychedelics (laughs) so it felt like a a a degree in in psychedelic education to some degree and that's how it kind of got started that's awesome that's a that's a cool backstory
0: um and yeah I mean Rick's a great guy very easy to talk to and if you have different theories or hypotheses you know you can definitely run stuff by him and he's definitely cool about giving you his take on it um yeah we talked about the near-death stuff with him we've had a lot of like near-death experts and experiencers on the show too because like you know obviously your show you guys mostly do psychedelics you guys will have some different people on occasionally I've seen but uh we do all sorts of, you know, we'll do near-death, ancient civilizations, philosophy, metaphysics, you know, we do the whole thing. But Damn I think man. the interesting thing about uh, all these things is some of them kind of all tie together, right? So, like, we're talking about yep. psychedelics, but we're talking about near-death stuff, metaphysics, the nature of reality, uh, the mind, and all that stuff. And I think that, uh, I think they all tie together in some way, some sort of connectiveness or... um, you know, they all go towards this bigger picture idea of what it means to be a human being and a person. Um, is there some aspect, excuse me, is there some aspect of what you went through with your, near death, you know, experience and and stuff like that, that you felt like maybe opened the door to being more open-minded about like psychedelics and breath work and things like that? Or do you think that, um, it was something that was probably going to happen anyways?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think that definitely opened my mind a whole bunch. Um, Well, to some degree, it's actually really interesting thinking back. Um, So, yeah, I was 16 when that happened Um, and I was pretty anti-drug and substance right after that experience. Mm -hmm. Like in high school, my friends were experimenting with alcohol or smoking cannabis and, you know, they were taking psychedelics and I had nothing to do with it. And I just couldn't kind of wrap my head around like you know, why do people want to like alter their consciousness? Like, this is the most amazing thing ever to, to be here. And I, you know, and I, I think I was just really kind of still riding off that high of like, and just understanding how fragile my body is. Um, at that point, I'm like, do I want to put things in my body? Like, you know, now I'm missing this organ. And so I think I was dealing with some of that trauma. So yeah, it's funny thinking about like, the trajectory of my life. And, you know, I, I was chatting with some friends a few years ago they're like you're the most unlikely person to get involved in you know drug drug research um, psychedelics <laughs> just because I was so anti that um, in in high school. So I would say to some degree, yeah, the near-death experience opened me up to it, but it also closed me down in those beginning years. And, you know, as you're saying, it's all related. Um, You know, when we start to talk about philosophy, metaphysics, psychedelics, near-death experiences, what are we doing here in the world? Um, To me, that's all kind of similar. Um, And that definitely Um, was really kind of catalyzed with that near-death experience, coming back and just being like, you know, what are we doing here? And that's where a lot of that, like, heavy existential uh, crisis started coming from, was asking these deeper questions around my purpose here in life. Why am I here? Um, There are so many times that I wish I, the doctors didn't save me. Um, And, you know, it's always kind of hard. Now I'm I'm very thankful for it, but, you know, there's a period where I just couldn't grapple like, I guess wrap my mind around it of like, why am I still here? And so I was really struggling with those deep existential, um, you know, ideas, but I think that's where psychedelics kind of helped me really kind of recontextualize it a little bit and gave me an experience to maybe go back into that. Um, and I guess do some exploration on in a different way.
0: Mm. Yeah. I love hearing, I mean, you know, I'm sure some people don't like the origin question at the beginning of podcasts. I do because I like the origins of things when I'm trying to figure out something or look into something, I always look at the origin to, you know, go from there. Uh, and I think yours is interesting. The fact that you were kind of anti that initially. I mean, we had a Maurice and I had a different, uh, path, you know, we 13, 14, we kind of both started smoking cannabis and then, you know, soon after we were doing psilocybin and looking at Irwid and, looking at dosages yeah. and just being like nerds about that kind of stuff. And we were in a jam band in high school and we were kind of like the outcasts and into fish and the grateful dead, all that kind of stuff. Um, we're reading like on the road and electric Kool-Aid acid Test, So we kind of had a different take on that, but I like hearing different people's perspectives. Cause I think ultimately that's what brings us together is that, that yeah. convergence point of like, how did we get into this one topic? So um, where, where do you see, psychedelics going in terms of the next five years because you guys have you know a good pulse on what's happening you guys are big in the community um you're always interviewing you know the people with the latest cutting-edge research or people that are you know uh, activists and participating in a lot of the stuff so where do you see this going in the next five years
1: I guess if you asked me this um, a few years ago, I probably would have only had one type of answer, and that was, you know, the clinical use, FDA approval with MDMA and psilocybin, and you know, most likely we'll see this integrated into therapy and yeah, having that FDA approval makes it more legit. Now, with a lot of these initiatives that have taken off since, uh, you know, May 2019 with uh, Denver decriminalizing psilocybin and, you know, other city ordinances following and then with Oregon legalizing psilocybin therapy, I mean, I would love to see a, a very diverse field. Um, and something I come back to is really being able to honor the different use contexts and, you know, really honoring kind of religious, spiritual use. What does that look like? Can we create a framework for that um, where we could have centers where people don't need a mental health diagnosis to have an experience or receive treatment, you know, more for self-exploration, spiritual development. Um, and then, on the other side, yeah, more of the, the clinical development there, seeing clinics, seeing psychedelics more integrated into psychiatry and psychology, um, advancing that field a bit, um, also maybe pushing the ideas around psychology and psychiatry. Like, what what does it mean? What, like, what, you know, what are the roots of mental illness? I mean, I, I just even think about some of my psychedelic experiences in the past, just examining some of that um, and, and how it's kind of really, I guess, like, have me view it a little bit differently. So I wonder around like transpersonal phenomenon that, you know, is elicited by psychedelic experiences. How could that shift the field a little bit more? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think in, you know, five years, we'll definitely see FDA approval of MDMA and psilocybin. Um, I think the pandemic slowed things down a bit for, for MAPS and whatnot. Um, but I think, you know, things are starting to get ramped back up and, and we'll see that integrated into psychiatry and mental health. And I'm just really excited about a lot of the grassroots movement I love seeing yeah again what the decriminalization efforts are doing and what Oregon has done Um, and I want to see a more kind of diversified field Um, we'll also see probably big money come in we've already seen a lot of big money come in a lot of corporations starting out of nowhere and it's like whoa like it's really hard to keep track of everything that's going on I mean it feels like there's new companies emerging in the space like every day or every week and you know somebody emails me and says hey have you heard of this I'm like for some I'm hearing of it you know and so things are things are really taking off and it's also really hard to answer i have no idea where it's going to be in 5 years i remember when i started on this journey and i did my I enrolled in the bachelor's program in 2010. I guess my interest in a lot of this stuff specifically around psychedelics probably started coming in around 2007, 2008. Um, and when I really made that decision, I remember I was like reading Stan Groff's book, LSD The doorway to the numinous after a really, really um, challenging LSD experience I had when I was 20. And, just saying, like, this is what I want to do with my life. And I remember, you know, telling people, like, yeah, I'm so interested in psychedelics. I, you know, I, I'd love to be a psychedelic therapist. I'm going to go to school for transpersonal psychology. And people are like, what? Like, there's no career in that and you know just kind of like sticking to my guns because i had such a passion to it and going, no, like you know this is this is what i want to study so i mean just even thinking in the past five years how things have really accelerated it almost feels really hard to vision what five years from now would look like i mean even the past two years things have have really taken off but i'm excited um it's hard to you know keep track of everything some days i'm like whoa my head is spinning with like all the development in the space but um it's a exciting
0: yeah i know uh i mean maurice and i have loved cannabis forever and if you go back to if you had asked us in high school you know where it blew our our minds it it would be recreationally legal in both of the places that we live it would be i wouldn't believe you for sure um based on what was going on at the time um do you think though that even that do you think that adds some sort of mystical element in itself this thing it's like not you're not supposed to do it so therefore there's this you have to be secretive it's almost like a almost connected to like how you would look at like ancient rituals or being like an initiated member of some sort of um society or something like that do you think that that adds like a certain element not that it's a good thing but just that that might have been how it was
1: I mean, that's a really interesting question. And I'm like, you know, I've definitely asked myself this uh, pretty often of are things going to change from more of like an experience- Experience perspective like how does the experience change when it starts to come out of the underground are these substances going to have that kind of like sacred container where yeah most indigenous uh, peoples that that use these substances kind of had that container for it or even just thinking about like the Eleusinian mysteries right I mean it was punishable by death to talk about it and mm-hmm. those went on for over 2000 years
0: Alcobides profaned it and was you know I think what was that 403 or 405 BC I mean that that was a big deal that he did that at that dinner party. We're still talking about it to this day.
1: Yeah. So I wonder how like what happens when we commodify the sacred. I, I don't know. Um, something that we'll we'll explore as it starts to happen more often.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something I think about too. Because I mean, I've talked about it a million times. I'm not going to go anything, but definitely psilocybin has helped my OCD, which I never thought I would have any sort of relief at one point i mean it was just miserable the worst i could have ever imagined feeling um but it allowed me to kind of look at myself outside of myself and it allowed other things like cbt therapy and just more um introspective thinking and mindfulness and all those things to come into place um but the mystical side of it the thinking that there's more to life or there's more than what's meets the eye or maybe there's actual purpose you know because i know Yes, most scientists or even modern philosophers, they would say, purpose is like a human creation. It's not a real thing in the universe. Which I would probably mm-hmm. disagree with that, based on everything we talk about and uh, discuss on the show. But I know the mystical side of things has always been the thing that interests me, and that's the thing that helped me too. So what you were saying yeah. about it'll be interesting once we take the stigma out of it. Will it change the ex- experience in any way? And I think that that's where it comes down to: is it the mystical? aspects of it or is it the actual compounds doing these things? I mean, I don't know if you have a take on that.
1: I think it's uh, it's both, right? Because I think there's sometimes people get benefit when they don't have that breakthrough mystical experience. Um, so I think I think it's a both type of answer for that. Well, everybody's different
0: and that's always been my philosophy is I know people are against taking the psychedelic components out of the compounds and while that wouldn't work for me I, something like Tabernathologue might work for somebody who has serious addiction issues that maybe doesn't want to go through that grueling intense psychedelic journey
1: yeah and i guess that comes down to what you're looking for right um you know if you're really struggling with a lot of philosophical spiritual issues i think having that mystical breakthrough can be really important but again like yeah i, I was uh moderating a, a discussion for uh, the SciTech Summit a few months ago. Um, based on that question, taking the psychedelic experience out of the psychedelic, um, and you know, I think yeah, I've talked about this on the show, but just even thinking about people that suffer from cluster headaches, right? Um, some people find benefit from psilocybin and LSD. Um, you know, do you want to have to trip out all the time and have a profound mystical experience to? cure your cluster headaches or would it actually be nice to you know be able to to take some medication that just c- curbs the pain mm. um you know from people that i've hear that that suffer from that i mean it just sounds absolutely uh, painful yeah, you know
0: yeah. um yeah so <clears throat> when you look at like your podcast and your relationship with joe from I haven't listened to a ton, but I have listened to probably about 10 or 15 episodes of Psychedelics today, some of your bigger guests. It seems like you're the more spiritual, mystical one of the two. Is that is that, would that be a correct assessment?
1: He's the Maurice of the group. <laughs> <laughs> is that how you are, Maurice? Hey, I'm more, I'm lot well, we both kind of started as mystical types. That's, we were going to call this thing mystical Maisie, or <laughs> we had a couple of different ideas, but then, uh. Michael's a little more rooted in science. I wouldn't say he's not off the the mystical path. I'm in
0: between. I like both. I like balancing the two. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Joe comes off uh, very kind of like scientific on the show, but, um, you know, he is interested in the spiritual aspect. And I probably shouldn't speak too much about his belief system. Um, But, yeah. We've had
0: him on, and I do remember we did get into some, a little woo, you know, so.
1: Yeah. like It's fun sometimes. yeah, the philosophy. That, I mean, he had a whole podcast called the Cult Sentinel, so you know he's definitely into the occult stuff as well. Um, yeah, I think we we bring an interesting balance. Um, you know, I really started to approach uh, a lot of this through. My own kind of experiences, again, with that near-death experience, studying it academically um, through a, a program, um, thinking about it intellectually a whole bunch, and then clinically. So, like, you know, one aspect of the, I've been very focused on kind of the clinical application. I'm a, I'm a counselor at the moment. Um, so, you know, that's the route I went down and, you know, really kind of preaching. I mean, the it's been really interesting. The one thing I've really learned, um, you know, kind of working with Joe and, and talking to a lot of people in the psychedelic scene over the past five years at psychedelics today is when I went into this, um, you know, I said, You know, it has to be done in a certain container or a certain way. It needs to be done therapeutically or in some sort of spiritual container. Um, And I I really kind of stood by that. And then talking to so many people and then hearing how Joe entered it. I mean, more along the lines with you guys, right, in the music scene, festivals and et cetera. And also finding the healing benefit in, in that, the more celebratory use. Um, and I, I, think that's important. So, yeah, I think Joe and I bring this like fun little balance where, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be kind of very clinically oriented and, you know, he can um, be a little bit more open about his experiences, um, in, in that celebratory nature.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting what you said too, because being a part of the jam scene for so long and going to so many shows, I mean, we probably went to a few hundred concerts over the span of however many years since high school. Um even just like dark star orchestra shows on the weekends in high school, like stuff like that. Um, I would say that the jam scene doesn't really implement a lot of that, like metaphysical mystical stuff. A lot of those people are just people trying to get away for yeah. uh, a couple hours or whatever. And they have regular jobs or, you know, I just, um, it's interesting. And when I meet people like that on tour or at shows or whatever, we always have great conversations, but it doesn't seem like it's something that's prevalent in those communities. I don't, I don't know if you've experienced anything like that. Or.
1: I could probably count the number of uh, festivals and you know, kind of like th- those jam fest like bands I've been to on my on all five. <laughs> like, hasn't been many, but I do remember um, going to Mountain Jam in New York. And, you know, everybody's kind of decked out in their their hippie gear, tie-dye. And I'm just wearing, you know, like a (laughs) polo, like kind of looking a little preppy. And, you know, I'm talking to all these people that are tripping and It was just it felt very surface level at times Mm. and I always wanted to go deeper. I'm like, you know, I want to go like really deep in the philosophical questions, spiritual questions. And so, you know, for my just brief experience there hanging around that scene every once in a while, um, that's how I felt. And and I think that's why I was so big on containership and and kind of like intention on going in is I think I saw a lot of that escapism and going like, you know, why do we want to escape from our experience? and in our life at times because it feels mundane it's it's you know really stressful you know, right. maybe we're trapped in things we don't like doing there's a lot of suffering um <clears throat> and yeah i definitely get caught in that of you know wanting to escape things from time to time but yeah i guess like w- my approach is that you know all the magic is happening right here mm. in each moment and if we can really slow down to appreciate that um life in itself is psychedelic and psychedelics can really just amplify that for us to, to bring awareness into how beautiful everything is in each moment. Mm.
0: Well said. (laughs) Boom. Um, I always thought that that was interesting in the sense that even if you look at like Jerry Garcia, if you look at what Jerry Garcia is into or was into uh, a lot of esoteric stuff, a lot of esoteric tax, you know, if you even listen to some of his trip reports, I think he even talks about like, DMT, like insectoid beans, and uh, lots of weird stuff like that. And I always thought it was weird being on tour, talking with some of these people. Like I said, that just don't really want to delve into that realm of things yeah. and are just there. To kind of like mindlessly escape and listen to some cool music. And it's more, I guess, maybe because it's more predicated around listening to the music and being a part of that culture than it is like thinking outside of that, maybe is the mindset.
1: But well, too, in that setting, I mean, it could probably be super overwhelming if you're in a group of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, and, well, not hundreds of thousands, but, you know, hundreds, two thousands of people, yeah. um, and all of a sudden, you know, you're really high on mushrooms or LSD or you just smoke DMT, and now all of a sudden you have these, these entities talking to you, and, you know, how, <laughs> How just disrupting is that? How disorienting is that? You know, I remember when I was at that mountain jam festival again, I think I was like 20 at that point, or maybe it was, I was 19. Um, You know, I ate some mushrooms and I was hanging out on this hill. I was away from the crowd. Um, I was just kind of by myself looking down and, and hearing the music from afar and even just seeing that many people and just feeling all that energy it was too overwhelming for me I, I ended up going back to my tent and just having like a solo experience just because I couldn't contain because I, I guess I'm very internal when it comes to that stuff and to try to I, I definitely get overwhelmed um, by the external environment like too quickly and so that's why i think i never really kind of um could do that i always was kind of envious of my friends that you know talked about taking psychedelics and going to a festival and just dancing Um, for me I, i i would try doing that in recreational settings but my experience always led down to a mystical or like not always mystical, but, you know, it gets so deep where, you know, that bad trip would start coming out. You know, I'd get so down into crazy thought patterns and thought loops and go, you know, thinking like about death and life and the cosmos and what am I? And, you know, I'd have to just remove myself from certain situations and be like, this is just too overwhelming to be around so many people. But I was always envious of my friends that could do that and really enjoy the moment and be like, Oh yeah, just dance.
0: And yeah, the reason why I bring that up though is because I went through different like Early on, my I remember my first psilocybin experience I think I was fifteen, maybe early sixteen um and just thinking because we I was raised Catholic, just thinking that like I never had any connection to that realm of things other than maybe like a good moral platform or scaffolding or something like that, but other than that, I never really felt any connection to anything metaphysical but then when I tried psilocybin for the first time, I'm like, oh there it is mm. that's that's what this is um and then I kind of lost that you get kind of tied up in like high school and just day-to-day consciousness and just get surviving, you know, and, um, being in that environment. And uh, I didn't really start bringing it back around again until my spiritual awakening, probably five yeah. years ago. So in between that time, I was one of those people that I'm talking about right now that would just go to these events or go to these concerts or did do these things and have fun and it's fun, but you know, there wasn't really any like reverence or like intention behind it. It was just kind of like an, in, in the moment or I'm, you know, I want to enjoy the music like that or something along those lines. So again, I just wanted to point out the, that, uh, that there, um, in terms of what do you, when you think about your experience that you had when you're 16 and like everything you've learned from talking to all these guests and researching and, actually having a proper education and background in some of these things um what do you think do you have any has there been a change or shift in your consciousness or attitude towards this or do you think life is even more mystical now that you've gone through all that
1: mm. mm. I think there's like two things that, that come up for me as you ask that. Um, yeah, the one is, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, life itself is pretty psychedelic. If we really are able to slow down and appreciate what's in, unfolding in front of us, you know, it can be really beautiful. It can also be really overwhelming when we have that much awareness <laughs> around what's going on. Um, the thing that I think I've been really chewing on and if anybody wants to check out uh, the past two episodes that we released at Psychedelics Today, the one with uh, Michelle, the, our special 920 event um, or podcast, and then the other podcast was on spiritual emergence. And I forget the title of it, but it, it was pretty recent. Um, this concept of psychedelics and healing. And I think I've been really kind of uh, thinking about that pretty often. And I think that has shifted. From my younger self having very transformative experiences and finding healing in these substances, um, and I guess feeling like that's what it's – it. that's what – that's where – that's what it is. Um, and just being really passionate about that. I think I've been just been a little bit more critical over the years talking to people that haven't found healing in psychedelics, um, you know, maybe have been traumatized by the experience. Um, and I'm just even thinking about the whole one of the reasons why I got really <clears throat> interested in this was, yeah, that psilocybin experience, the near death experience. But <clears throat> I th- I mentioned You know, that's when I was reading Stan Groth, I was struggling with a really, really difficult LSD experience um, at 20. And I wish that upon nobody. Well, I got to take a sip.
0: (laughs) All good. I've been having throat issues as
1: well today. Yeah, (laughs) weird. Um, And that experience was really uh, disorienting to me and left me kind of stuck in a trip for like three to four months. To some degree, Looking back at it, it took me at least five years to process that experience. And the way that I make sense of that was that was some sort of initiatory crisis. If we're talking about kind of more like, you know, a spiritual narrative, that was the event that really kind of got me on this path. That one threw me into the depths of hell. That, like I needed to find my way out, and so that's when I really started reading Grof and um, Ram Das, The Dependent Book of Living and Dying. My reality was just crumbling. i was I, I was definitely going through a spiritual emergence. Um, and would I say that that was a healing experience? No. um, years later, I can say that that experience changed my life and got me set on this path to go on a healing journey to some mm. degree. But, I mean, I regretted that experience for so long. I mean, my reality just completely shifted. Um, You know, I was really struggling with a lot of HPPD. So hallucinogen persisting perceptual disorder Like just seeing trails I was having a really hard time driving at night The lights I became really sensitive to lights All of a sudden so I would see cars pass And then their headlights would just trail like Crazy um, And so it, it was really really challenging To just stay grounded And I felt like I was having like all these outer body Experiences but the whole visual Thing re- really uh, really Caused a lot of stress in my life and if you look At some people um, In like those HPPD communities on facebook or reddit i mean there are a lot of people that struggle um and so i think i'm really kind of questioning this narrative around psychedelics kind of being this silver bullet the way that a lot of the mainstream media seems to present it based off of the research um and you know what happens when people don't have that experience um and are they always healing and then this kind of gets into i guess like some of the shamanic components as well um you know and and, I was chatting with uh, somebody a while ago and they were saying in the the tribe that they studied with uh, i forget it was if it was in brazil or peru they would only drink ayahuasca when they really really needed it and i said well, well why was that and they said well every time you go into that realm it would have consequences there would be kind of be ripple effects that would come out into the community um and i don't know if any of you have had any of those types of experiences where you get into a very weird trip space and all of a sudden Strange things start happening around you and you go, what the hell is going on here? And there does sometimes seem to be some sort of relationality relationship between those two realms. But however you want to define that, I don't, I don't have good terminology there. I guess the shamanic worldview would say that's like the, the spirit realm. Um, and you know, they're having an influence on our reality. Um, and you know, I've definitely had some interesting experiences in the past with that, where now you start to kind of get into more of this like metaphysical, spiritual stuff of like, what are we doing with these substances? What's their power? What's their potential? What type of realms are we, you know, tapping into when people do have. You know these really profound mystical experiences with entity contacts. What the hell is that all about? Who are they? Are they real? Do they have any influence over our life? Um So I start thinking like more on that like shadow side from time to time, which is interesting to explore.
0: yeah, I know a lot of people bring in Young and his work and uh tying it to like these entities in terms of like the subconscious coming out and you having a conversation with yourself as a possibility. To explain what's going on i know we asked rick this and i mean i don't think he ruled out the possibility of them being external i know we've had a couple people on and i can identify i think i would go along with this theory is that maybe some sort of epigenetic memory uh comes out within that experience um and you know one thing we mentioned or i brought up to rick too is the I don't know if you're familiar with there's there was a documentary dmt quest which we've had john chavez on the mm, yeah. show so it's a it's a really good documentary but the, the letter half of it is all like science-based stuff um and he goes to he talks about in one part of the documentary there's a researcher talking about uh there's this dr stephen barker guy at lsu that found levels of dmt increased in animal brains when lsd was administered so there's mm. this like theory now it's called the endogenous hallucinogen neuronal system agonist theory which is that everything is predicated on DMT is playing off of the DMT as opposed like that's in our system, as opposed to each one of these compounds doing something separately on its own, if that makes sense.
1: Super interesting. I haven't heard of that. I'll have to look that up.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, I know. And the thing though, is that that study wasn't really published and there's not really a lot of funding, even those U of M uh, studies that are, you know, with the, the, the finding the DMT in the brain and, all that all those were like underfunded too so i mean i I, this is definitely uh if you're if you're interested in like the the nature of reality and you're a scientist i don't know why who's who's not funding these things it doesn't make any sense to me
1: i mean for me these are the most interesting questions like i don't know if you ever stumbled across the work of daniel mcqueen no i have he he, he uh yeah, he does like conscious cannabis, but I ran a webinar series with him. I don't know if you've heard of the DMTX project. I mean, uh, Strassman has, uh, I think, heard of it or has done some consulting on it. Andrew Gallimore um, wrote about it as well. I forget who really kind of started the idea, but Check that uh, out. yeah, Daniel McQueen ended up kind of running with it for a bit. And um, yeah, we did a four part webinar, webinar series a few years ago, but the concept is to um, have an extended state of of DMT. And so hooking you up with an IV pump, um, so you get that the DMT concentrations and the blood plasma consistently versus oh, you know, know. a lot, of, a lot of people are saying, oh, why don't you just like drink ayahuasca? But this is consistent yeah. levels of DMT in the blood. And I mean, I don't even know. Like that is so that is so interesting. Like we're talking about space exploration. But what happens if we can hang out in a DMT space consistently for 15 minutes? I mean, <laughs> I didn't know well, that. Like
0: well, I didn't know that that's what you were talking about. We do know a decent amount about that. We've had Andrew Gallimore on a few times, but we, I didn't know that that's who the guy that was running the study, but we just, uh, we've had these guys D, uh, the dreaming Jaguars on a few times. They run this YouTube channel. They're about to interview. I think one of the first people to come out of that, they actually have done mm. those tests now at Imperial college. Um, Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that they found some interesting results. I don't know how long it was, like 30 minutes or something like that. Uh, I could be wrong, but, uh, yeah, I know that the, they have done those now at this point and I don't know where everything lies in terms of science. I think they're waiting for the papers to come out, but uh, I didn't know that that's who the person was behind it. But yeah, I I do. There are,
1: I think a few people, but yeah, Yeah, the extended, uh,
0: I've always heard it as the extended stay DMT experiments. yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, I don't know. I, Maurice and I have actually never done DMT, not for any other reason, just because we're old, older dudes at this point. I'm not out there searching for things. You know, uh, I think uh-huh. I was offered it one time at a fish show, but the dude was so uh, <laughs> yeah, sketch, you did, sketchy. You didn't want to do that. <laughs> no, yeah. You didn't know. And that, that was, we were like 16 or 17 in like a different city, you know, uh, so, yeah, it was just uh, one of those things. But
1: It wouldn't have uh, been beneficial in this regard anyway. It would have yeah. been more of a party-type atmosphere, you know?
0: I'm open yeah. to it, but I feel like if I'm going to do it, it's going to find me kind of a thing. I'm not going to go out there yeah. searching for stuff at this, because I've tried most of the other stuff anyways, and I'm not saying I know what it's like, but, you know, I, I can imagine, based on everybody's trip reports, that it's some next-level stuff, probably like a a more interesting and fun version of Salvia. Yeah.
1: Salvia I, is a really I intense. have done Salvia a
0: decent amount and that is a yes, that's a yes. wild trip. I know Rick Strassman even talked about his uh Salvia experience and he did not have a uh no, it wasn't very pleasant. He didn't have a pleasant experience based on what he was saying. I don't think most people have. I don't know. I don't I don't know if I've talked to anybody that's had like a, a groundbreaking, transformative LS, or uh Salvia experience that I can remember. I've
1: smoked I've smoked extract twice and again that was like when I was younger I was like 18 and 19 and it was just very weird bizarre it's hard to put into words I mean there's like this weird thing with gravity like I felt like I was being pushed and like Hmm. you know pulled in different directions Um, but I have experimented with uh, tincture and that you know depending on the dose can be really nice Um, And I I did have a really positive experience with uh, oral salvia tincture um, at a medium dose range.
0: Yeah, I I know that uh, Hamilton's Pharmacopeia episode where he masticates the leaves. He drinks like a full shake. It doesn't do anything. But then he masticates the leaves. Something about masticating and touching your uh, oral receptors does something completely different. And I think that that he said that that was one of his better trips. So I would assume if you're going down to Mexico. And I know that that's like one of the only places where it grows. That's the, that's probably the way to do it. Is one of those shama- shamanic rituals where, uh, you masticate the leaves and I know it lasts longer too. Cause each time you masticated it, you're getting more of it into those, uh, receptors. So
1: it definitely felt weird. I timed it. And I think like the peak only lasted like 20 to 30 minutes and it felt like hours um, but it was it was a really enjoyable experience, um, you know. Surprisingly, did you, to say
0: that. did you get anything like repeaty or like uh, a few times? I did it. I think it was like thirty-two x, very repetitive stuff, like fractally repetitive things happening. And as you mentioned, loss of like balance and coordination and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, again, since this wasn't um, smoked, this was, like, orally taken. Um, this was much gentler. It was very meditative. Um, and then just had an experience with, like, the plant spirit, which was really nice, too. It was, like, she kind of, like, came in, and it, it was it was really interesting. I, I did an episode to, went into a little bit more detail about it. But, um, yeah, it was, like, very meditative, um, really calming. I mean, you definitely had some, like, interesting body effects. Nothing too repeated and again you know i think this was probably a medium dose wasn't like a higher dose i'm Mm. sure it probably gets weirder on high dose of salvia or um but yeah dosing is important knowing your dose
0: would you equate it to like how you know similar to an ayahuasca versus smoking dmt similar and ingesting salvia versus smoking salvia
1: you know um yeah i think well yeah i think like uh I think you're, yeah, right there. So, thinking about smoking, I mean, when you smoke anything, right, it's more of like an intensity, um, enters your bloodstream a lot quicker than taking it orally. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the oral kind of uh, dosing is more subtle. Uh, you know, it takes a little bit longer to kick on, kind of like ayahuasca, right? Drinking and you kind of have that slower come on instead of smoking it and kind of, you know, the lap bar co- goes across your r- waist and all of a sudden you're on a roller coaster ride. Um,
0: yeah that's interesting um what do you think what 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 motivates you at this point or what are you passionate about other than like the you know the activism stuff or like the clinical stuff like what are you passionate about researching wise like is there anything weird or interesting that you're into in the psychedelic realm that's you know related like
1: metaphysics or
0: things like that
1: um, that's a great question. You know, going back to that DMTX thing, I'm that that super fascinates me. I, I would love to just uh, understand, like, just hear people's reports and see what they come back with. I mean, that just kind of like would be really interesting to. Uh, Just understand if they've had any entity contact, if what happens if you're able to stay in there for longer, like what type of things could you bring back Um, that metaphysical kind of entity stuff has always fascinated me. I don't know what to do with it. Hmm. Um, You know, I've had my own experiences with it. And there's, you know, the part of me that goes, that was completely real um the other part of me was you know is going well that was like archetypal energy or like you know this is a part of me you know and i could sit there and and slice it different ways so that stuff just really fascinates me because yeah what the hell is going on here um and i find it interesting to i guess maybe from like the scientific perspective to just want to break that down into something more concrete versus like thinking about it more metaphysically and thinking about like what if there's these entities are actually real? I always think about, um, Like this concept from Alfred North Whitehead This idea of the fallacy Of misplaced concreteness um, And thinking that you know If you have these This type of experience That experience is real May not be concrete in this physical reality But there's something real about it Mm. Um, And do we always need to boil it down And reduce it to say Well that's just like a part of you Or that's like an archetypal theme In the collective unconscious Um, You know that's just maybe What the the, the drug does to you Um, um, but thinking about like I don't know that experience is so damn real to me um, mm-hmm. that 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 feels like it goes beyond reducing it down to just basic concepts. Um, it felt like there's some sort of intelligence there at times. Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So those things fascinate me. I'm super interested in more of that stuff. I don't get to like explore it that much. um, But I think it's I think it's important, especially from a clinical perspective, when more and more people are starting to have these experiences. How like for me as like a clinician, like trying to help people make sense of it, um, you know, it's like sometimes that can be like just really shattering for people and they Mm -hmm. don't really know what to do with it. And they go, what the hell was that? Um, So I think I think more research and trying to understand that would be helpful. But then that starts to get into this like weird blend between psychology and spirituality or religion, right? Or philosophy and and metaphysics of like, yeah, what what is going on there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the fun part of life, right? Is speculating and hypothesizing yeah. and doing all those things. I know some people look down upon it, but whatever. I, I mean, I don't give a shit about those people. So uh, I'm just joking. Uh, I look at the <laughs> full, um. sp- I look at the full spectrum of things, but I think that you should do what you're passionate about, and you shouldn't let anybody dictate. You know, they look down upon. If you're interested in this realm of research, I think you should definitely look into it more. I'm all about you know, looking into weird things and the origins of things for sure. Um,
1: Yeah. I wonder if Strassman's uh, point changed. I remember I shared some of my experience with him back in 2010 and um, his answer is like, science doesn't want to hear about entities. Stick with the hard science, (laughs) track blood pressure. And I'm just like, uh, no, I don't want to stick with that. I want to understand. That's not fun. Yeah. I mean, we've had
0: him on a couple times. The first time we had on, we had him on, he was more open at like about his first DMT experience mm-hmm. with Terence McKenna and then um that when we just had I'll him to on check it, that out he was even more open about his experiences so i think it, now that he's not really tied to Academic. academia he can yeah. feel free to share what he actually thinks about things and uh i know he's been super into like mysticism and jewish mysticism and the the uh, uh old testament and all that stuff so um when you look at, uh, well, you mentioned something about experiences and I was going to say, that sounds like something I've heard like Terrence McKenna say, and even Dennis McKenna that, you know, the experience is real. Now, is there anything that can be taken back to this realm and like apply or give us some sort of insights in this realm? And I think that that's the big question, especially what you were bringing up, like the entities and stuff. Like, is there any knowledge to be gained from those experiences? And I think that one thing I would be interested in is people that see like symbolism or get talked or talk to these entities through um like psychically or um through again through symbols like is there a way to decode those symbols in that realm or is there a message to be given mm. as opposed to this like trickster element where you know you get like a brief second and then it's gone or you know you don't feel like you have enough time to really get in there and figure out what's going on so i would be interested to see if that's a thing or is it something where it always feels like that in that realm and there's no accents, there's no like concept of time, there's no real way to like break down and process things like you would in this day-to-day consciousness
1: yeah uh, well i'm thinking about some of my really profound experiences and i've definitely brought some of those lessons back with me um like those are just feel so core to me and you know it's a practice of keeping it alive and you know something that i always said like especially early on when i started to explore this I, i kept thinking like do i really care if it's actually real what impact has it had on my life? And it has had an impact on my life to some degree. And that's what I'm more interested in. What are you doing with that impact? And again, yeah, we're, we're kind of hinting towards this concept of integration. Um, how are we bringing these experiences back into our lives to you know, hopefully move it forward and have it inspire us and teach us to maybe new ways of being in the world? Um, I think that's the most important thing because you could go down rabbit holes of really trying to figure out like what's going on there. And I did do that. And to some degree, it just kind of made me spiral out from time to time. Um, And I had to pull back and say, well, what was the what was what was important about that experience and how is it impacting my life still? And, you know, that matters. It it impacted me. And I'm still kind of I, I still think about some of those experiences and the lessons and I go, yeah, I still keep that alive in me, and that, that's important. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's, like a, you said, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of those uh, experiments and what people have to say, and, um, you know, I talking with Rick, too, we were also discussing, like, preconceived notions and, like, you know, mind viruses kind of a thing in the sense that, like, even if you just... We're talking about like the Terrence McKenna machine elf thing, like him just mentioning that could create some sort of imagery that has a lasting effect on people's psyches. And then going in, you might expect to see something like that and how much of that plays into these. Cause we know the mind is so malleable, especially yeah. when you're getting into a state that's, you know, you've got a lot of neuroplasticity going on. Like are we creating a reality within reality at that point? You know, I don't know
1: yeah and you know that first psilocybin experience like i had an experience with those machine elves and i didn't know anything about terence mckenna and, you know i guess growing up the only influence that i would have taken in from that is you know friends going oh you know like you eat mushrooms and see elves or pink elephants right it's like but <laughs> i think even those descriptions Didn't prepare me of of what I experienced there. And for me, it was really tied to my near death experience. And so I guess I'll just share that. Um, So yeah, I only had like two grams of Cubensis. I went out into the woods with with my friend and I started to really feel it and I started to feel really woozy and I, I needed to sit down. My friend just puked his up. Um, and so I'm starting to like have some negative thoughts and I started to have that quote unquote bad trip. I remember we were hiking through this trail I found this little rock and and I pointed to that rock and said, this is where I'm going to die. And so I went to go sit on this little rock thinking this is it I'm dying. Uh, And all of a sudden I was overwhelmed with this, this familiar feeling of death creeping in. I got cold. Um, and you know, when I get that cold, I mean, obviously that triggers a lot of traumatic memories of, you know, actually bleeding to death. Um, And then all of a sudden, the world around me started to have teeth, um, and it felt like the world was about to consume me. And and I was just so terrified, going, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, this is just, you know, I, I can't contain anything. But if you go back into, like, you know, anthropological reports, like, this is very kind of archetypal. If you look at, like, the shamanic initiation, shamanic crisis, you know, they talk about not necessarily with mushrooms, but people will have these experiences of getting eaten or shredded um, by spirits um, or the world around you. And so that's what happened. I started to to have panic. The world was about to consume me. I started to see teeth everywhere. Um, and then all of a sudden, I, I remembered back to my near-death experience. And I, I heard that voice again and said, the more you struggle, the harder it's going to be. And so at that point, I relaxed into it and i blacked out um i entered into this void Mm -hmm. felt like i was like traveling through the stars um and You know, it it was it was scary um, because I didn't know anything about myself. I didn't know my name. I was trying to grasp at everything that tied me to Kyle. But every time I said, who am I? Where am I at? What do I do for a living? I literally couldn't remember anything about myself. Um, And then that got really scary of going. Maybe I am dead right now. Um, I don't know where I am. I, you know, I'm obviously not in my body anymore. Um, And then all of a sudden these entities started to appear um, and you know, I could draw them out, um, you know, kind of like these little green entities, beady black eyes, et cetera. And when I started to make contact with this, I said, holy shit. Hmm. I was like, I feel like, I, I feel like I've been here before. Um, and so I was like, well, let me test this out. And as these things started to, to come into shape and form, it felt like it, it had some sort of tele- telepathic communication. I said, you know, have I been here before? And they looked at me, said thousands of times. And I said, oh, shit, well, if I've been here before, this is really reminding me of death, then maybe I'm stuck in some sort of death bar, though. Um, And so I was like, all right, well, well, let me ask uh, another question. He said... "Um, is this where? Is this the place where I went when I died that one night, or almost died? And they just looked at me and said, more or less so. Um, and I said, okay, shit. Okay, if I'm in a death bardo, I, this might be the place that like my spirit or soul went. Um, well, maybe this is God, or maybe this is you know these entities that I talked to that gave me this new all this new information. And so I asked them that again. Said, you know, are are you God? Are you the thing that I, I contacted that night um, as I was slipping away? And they just looked at me and said, more or less so, (laughs) Um, you know, and for me, that's where I rationalize. And and I say that is the total trickster archetype. You know, I just like, you know, my mind created my near death experience. Um, Obviously, that was the most highly charged piece of content that I've been struggling with for the past few years. I needed some sort of resolution. If we go back to Stan Groff's idea of what a psychedelic is, it's a non-specific amplifier of mental or psychic processes. I go, okay, this is the most highly charged piece of content that I'm working with. I took a psychedelic. It amplified all my crazy thoughts, ideas about life, death. Um, and boom, I got catapulted into this mind, this like mind space of trying to make sense of what happened to me during that experience. And, All right. Maybe my mind created that. That's one idea. That's one theory. Okay, I I, I can deal with that even if we do reduce it down to to say this trauma narrative on on how to work with that. On the other hand, I go, that was really fucking weird (laughs) and that felt very real and it felt like there was some sort of intelligence there that felt more real than this life. And that's weird to say is more real than real. Right. That's the archetype. Yeah. Yeah and like how what is more real than real? I don't know. It's it's weird to even say that. And you do hear that from a lot of people that have these really profound experiences, right? It's like that was more real than real. Makes you question what the hell is real at that point, right? Mm-hmm. You go, well, okay, I can see and touch this physical reality, but um that reality, whatever that was, that felt more more real. Like does the soul leave and you know, does it go somewhere else? Are these realms real? Um could be i don't know um i like to speculate and just entertain it i don't yeah. have any like concrete answers about it
0: yeah you mentioned um the thing telling you or whatever the download or give you the idea that you've done this a million times and i always go back to what is it the cosmic serpent by jeremy narby mm, yeah when the whole thing is about shamanic experiences and dna and you were talking about shamanic uh experiences and archetypes and you mentioned the hallucinating mysteries earlier i mean, basically that is a, sh- a shamanic experience being taken into the underworld you know the yeah. persephone you know obviously we know that there is most likely psychedelics involved and there is some physical evidence to back that up now um but even go to egypt with the myth of osiris being chopped into a bunch of pieces and taken to the underworld and then being put back together like these are common themes you find in a lot of ancient mythologies and stuff like that so i think that there's probably something to it and i more and more I'm I'm starting to come to the conclusion that a lot of our ideas of metaphysics and metaphysical things come from these entheogens or psychedelic experiences or altered states in general, I guess. But
1: Yeah, and that was exactly my experience, being torn to shreds, being put into another world, felt like a hell realm for a little bit, and then put back together. Yeah. And when I finally came back from that, I felt like I was reborn. Um, you know, the world was glistering. It was like shimmers everywhere. There was so much magic. Um, and and it was really beautiful. So it was like, yeah, going in the depths of hell and then coming back, um, and returning and seeing the magic and beauty in the world. And, you know, I didn't know anything about like these kind of like these narratives that are, you know, in the collective, right? I mean, if you look at any sort of story, that's yeah. Anthropology, mythology, it's all, all, there. Um,
0: That's why I've always been confused, too, if you look at a lot of, like, academia in terms of, like, archaeology and stuff. They're never really concerned with the religion or the deities or anything like that. That's more of, like, an anthropological study side of things. But I think that it's all connected. If you're trying to understand the consciousness of these people, you can't just look at, like, a shard of pottery. You have to look at, like, what they believed in at the time and why they might have believed that kind of, you know. So I, I guess that's what I find interesting about those topics. But I can definitely relate to yours, and I think... You know, when people hear bad trip, they think, oh, it's somebody hiding under a table because they took took too much LSD or these old, you know, wives tales or whatever. But in reality, I think for me, my some of my more difficult trips have been the most beneficial in the sense of introspection. Uh, When I hear bad trip, I think unless it's some sort of occasional. Uh, psychosis or psychotic break, which you know you should never just take things willy nilly. You should understand your own personal mind and your mental history and everything like that. But aside from that, I think that when you hear "bad trip," I always think it's like productive. And I think that people that don't understand that take away a negative thing and maybe never do it again or never want to or will, you know, talk about it like that because they didn't understand that they had things within them that they were trapping inside or holding in that they weren't willing to deal with at that time or whatever, or maybe somebody had somebody pass away recently and then did it and had a bad experience. It's like you kind of have to be mindful of those things, right?
1: Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are really powerful substances and they do carry some risk. And, you know, I think that's why I was always really set on that container set and setting and. A lot of respect I mean I think a lot of those early experiences that were really challenging such as that one even though it had a beautiful outcome um, really made me respect like what the hell is going on here and respect these medicines and these substances um, and going you know these for me they aren't for always for fun Um, you know I I just could never have fun with them they were always very deep introspective um, and yeah sometimes really challenging like a lot of deep material starts to emerge and you go oh i don't want to deal with this it's this mm-hmm. scary right. yeah it's tough absolutely well
0: let's wrap it up here i know we have a certain amount of time here but i would like to get you back on at some point i think that uh, this was in Part four baby yes this is an interesting conversation i know we had joe on twice but maybe we can get you back on and uh continue the awesome. conversation but uh yeah really appreciate what you do and what psychedelics today is doing and uh you know, I'll look more into the, uh, setting sun wellness. So you can check out both those websites, psychedelicstoday.com and study, uh, settingsunwellness.com. And, uh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to plug out there before we get out of here?
1: No, I just want to say thank you to you both for having me on. This is always fun. It's always fun to riff on more of this transpersonal stuff. I don't always get to riff on all the time. So yeah, thanks for holding the space, okay. asking the questions. Um, and uh, well, I guess if anybody's interested in, um, you know, if any of your listeners are in the wellness space or clinicians or therapists, you can check out some of our education. Um, we have an eight-week program. Um, you can check that out at uh, psychedeliceducationcenter.com, and also have some free classes up there too. So, um, if you want to awesome. dip your toes in, check that out.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. It was great to hear your story, and uh, I like your take on things. And I think that um, it's always interesting having people on that have a different origin story, but then we all kind of come around, we're kind of all in the same realm right now, um with just different yeah. backstories. So uh I really appreciate every, like I said, everything you guys are doing there. Keep doing it. It's working. And uh yeah, before we get on, on out here, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash and escape podcast. For just two dollars a month you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. I will plug it one more time. I just threw new segments up there with Rick Strassman. There's one with Matthew Clark where we discuss what was Soma. I think you even discussed the Eleusinian Mysteries in that uh, segment. Um, Also, uh, I threw one up there with Laird Scranton recently. So there's a bunch on there. We have a bunch of them from our previous guests as well. So check that out if you're interested. Uh, one more time, head on over to Indra's web.org and sign up for an account. This is the social media platform we created to connect people, uh, connect open minds. If you like talking about this kind of stuff and metaphysics and the nature of reality and all that wonderful stuff, it's a perfect place to do it. Set up a profile today. And uh, one more time, if you are interested, we have Mind Escape t-shirt that we are going to be giving away at the end of October. Uh, all you have to do is go leave us a five-star review on Apple podcast, take a screenshot and send it to mindescape at gmail.com. And we will pick a winner at the end of the month. So look at that beauty. It's a nice thick yeah, uh, baby. black shirt. And uh, yeah, listen again, Kyle, thank you so much for everything that you're doing and we'll definitely have you back on in the future. Thank you. Everybody stay Bye. safe out there. We love you and we will catch you next time.
1: Peace.